Welcome to Grace Intersect. The goal of this podcast is to help us have an increasingly clear understanding of grace. My name is Jerry Moldenhauer. Thank you for joining us today. Can you recall one of your most important decisions that, while you thought at the time was very good, you now regret? A choice that has had enormous consequences that you didn't realize at the time? I think we all have a few of those in our past. Guess what? This is nothing new. This pattern started up from the very beginning of human recorded history, and there is a clear reason for it happening. Today's episode of Grace Intersect will identify where and how it all started, what has resulted as a consequence, and how we can experience redemption from those poor choices. Let's start at the very beginning, getting a little philosophical now. Either something and or someone has always existed, or something or someone has come from absolutely nothing. I choose the former. For life to have significant meaning for me, that is what's required. So, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's a very familiar phrase to most Christians. Then, sometime after that, he created people, human beings. Most people are somewhat familiar with the story of Adam and Eve. Actually, there are a lot of variations on that story, but its message is important. We won't go into all the variations as it's really not necessary for the focus of this episode. Whether you take the story as an allegory or literally, it really doesn't matter for our purposes. We are going to deal with the message and the lessons of the story and how we are impacted by it today. So here's the setting. God has placed Adam and Eve in a beautiful garden. They could see the colorful beauty, smell the pleasantness of the foliage, touch and taste the richness of flavors, all in the setting of harmonious animal sounds. Everything about their existence was perfect. It was like a heaven on earth. They would spend time with God walking through the garden. Spending time with their Creator was normal to them. They could engage Him with their minds and emotions and the distinctiveness of their personalities. They were to cultivate and care for this garden It doesn't seem like this was even work for them, but more like a pleasure of sharing time with God and each other while enjoying caring for their environment. They were welcome to eat of the food in the garden. It was a very comfortable place. In fact, so comfortable in all respects that even being naked was the norm. Sounds pretty nice. Unfortunately, things would change in a massively consequential way. Have you ever had to make a decision that, at some level, the outcome was like all or nothing? Financially? Career? A relationship? Do you remember the movie The Matrix? It was one of two pills. Well, for Adam and Eve, it was a tree. Maybe we should say, the tree. A couple of trees are specifically identified in the garden. One is called the tree of life, the other the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The last tree was the only one that God gave direct instructions about. Pretty simple. They were not to eat of it. It doesn't appear that some innocuous reason was given to them, like God just wanted one tree that was completely untouched, or something like that. This instruction had a very specific purpose. There was a warning for them that was attached, which would be reason enough. It was a highly consequential warning. If they did eat of this tree, they would die. We can question why God would do that, For me, it was because God wanted a dynamic relationship with the highest form of His creation. Think about it. They were made to connect deeply with each other and God, and to have people with whom He could relate in a meaningful way required that they have the ability to possess thoughts and make choices. Isn't that what makes your best relationships most fulfilling? 
Especially in relationships, having the ability to choose about anything and everything is necessary. This is how we interact, show love for one another, and trust in each other. If one or more in a relationship don't have that ability, that is a very shallow relationship, if one at all. In fact, I don't think it is possible to relate intimately with another person unless there is an ability to mutually choose and trust. We make choices about relationships every day. Should we get into a particular relationship? If so, to what degree? What makes mutual acceptance in relationships so joyful and fulfilling? What if one wants to have a relationship and the other person doesn't? Can we decide to reject having a relationship? Why would we do that? That is often a very hard decision. Rejection can be extremely painful and have incredibly negative consequences. What would it be like if God created people, gave them the ability and opportunity to make choices, and then they mess up, especially if they say and or do things that diminish the value and dignity of the other person in the relationship? What if they mess up really, really bad and do it often? In our minds, well, let's play God in this situation. Should we just remove them from the ability and opportunity to make choices? Should we now force them to end up in some kind of relationship with us whether they want to or not? If so, how satisfying a relationship would that be for either of us? What if someone just doesn't want to have a relationship with us? As in the previous episode, this may be a time to put your listening on pause to contemplate your responses to these questions. If you don't already have a somewhat clear understanding in your mind about these, then the rest of this episode may not be at all that helpful in processing the grace concept. How did you do with that thought exercise? Well, if you were really God dealing with Adam and Eve, they were about to find out from you that there is nothing more significant than choices of life and death. Some people don't like to think that evil exists. Personally, I see the whole of human history littered with unspeakable, unimaginable depravity during every generation. Even in more civilized cultures, it can be revoltingly abhorrent to see what humans are capable of being and doing. It was evil that presented the opportunity for ultimate choices in the garden story. Evil came in the form of Satan. He presented himself to Adam and Eve as an alternative to God. So, if God is truth, then Satan is not. Instead, he is an expert in deception. In their garden perfection, Adam and Eve knew only good. Now they were being presented with something that was going to challenge truth and good. Satan questioned them about what God had told them. He then rebutted God's instruction by telling Adam and Eve that by eating of the tree of good and evil, they would have new knowledge that would make them like God. That new knowledge was the ability to know the difference between right and wrong, good and evil. That, Satan claimed, was a godlike quality that is desirable. What could be wrong with that? Being godlike was good, and being more godlike should be even better. Oh, he made one other claim that directly contradicted God. Satan dismissed God's warning about death and assured them that they would not die. Death was not to be considered a consequence for choosing to eat of the forbidden tree. Well, to Eve the tree was beautiful to look at, and the fruit was edible. But it seems the desire for wisdom, to be godlike in an additional way, was enough to make her choose to go ahead and eat the fruit. With the consequence of death for that choice removed by Satan, why not? So she took it and ate. Adam nearby was given some and he ate also. Satan is so insidiously cunning. He can make something bad seem good. After all, wouldn't it be a good thing to be more godlike? 
Today, Christians might use the word godly. They could be more godly. That sounds like something that should be quite acceptable and even desirable. Here's a thought. Could it be that Adam and Eve were convinced that they could actually be better, improved people if they had godlike wisdom of knowing the difference between good and evil? Maybe their motivation wasn't just giving in to the simple temptation of disobedience to God. Maybe they were persuaded that they were actually doing something good and in their innocence chose poorly. Can you identify with any of that? God had made only one rule, but a rule was necessary so a decision could be made and trust could be established. Good choices would result in a high quality of trust and a deeply loving relationship. Satan's goal was to destroy that relationship. He lied to Adam and Eve and then brought up a concept of comparing. They could be better than they currently were. They could be more like God. Evil is diabolical. Satan obviously wanted to destroy the identity God had given to Adam and Eve. Satan wanted them to see themselves as somehow deficient compared to God. They were not enough. They could be better. All they had to do was listen to Satan. How evil and how devastatingly consequential. As soon as they did eat the fruit, the power of the knowledge of good and evil hit them. Interestingly, their first awareness of evil had to do with their nakedness. What was a perfectly beautiful part of their relationship in a way God created them and their relationship to be was profoundly corrupted from that point on. This caused them to sew fig leaves together to partially clothe themselves. Shame, guilt, fear, blaming, all made a profound entrance into human nature. Of course, God knew what happened. It might be easy to project our expected response to this situation on God. What might that look like for you? Play God again for a second. How do you respond to Adam and Eve in this situation? I'm very glad that I'm not God. Well, look at how he responds. He goes into the garden and calls for them. He could have responded in any number of ways. What God does here reminds me of the story Jesus told in the book of Luke, chapter 15. It's called the story of the prodigal son. Now, they see God with less love, value, and dignity than what he has, and they see themselves with less value and dignity than what they had. Fear is now a controlling part of their nature. However, God still loves them and obviously wants to continue a relationship with them. So he calls, but for the very first time, they try to hide from God. How profound is that? Can we relate? When found and asked about what happened, Adam blames Eve. Eve blames Satan. This sounds way too familiar, doesn't it? Then God shares with them the sad consequences of their choices. And note this, though the consequences are very real and hard, he extends his love to them by making them skin coverings for their nakedness. He still cares about them. However, there is now a new reality. Their world has abruptly changed. Their choices, choices of listening to Satan at all, to giving credibility to what he told them, to acting on his lies, to hide from God, to casting blame on others, these poor choices led to them being separated from their perfect garden existence with God and, though not entirely, in some deeply profound ways from God himself. Their new knowledge of evil corrupted their true created likeness of God. Life would never be the same. Death has now become an inevitable part of their existence. Death is darkness. In Eden, there was light. Evil ushered in a spiritual dominion of darkness and death that has enveloped the world and all of our human existence. Regardless of how you see this story, actual events or an allegory, 
The messages and lessons are the same. There is a God. He wants to have a meaningful, personal relationship with the highest form of his creation. He took the risk of giving humans free will to that end. A life and death choice was necessary for relational depth. The presence of evil through clever deception provided the opportunity for bad choices. The desire for what appeared to be something good led to disobedience. This resulted in a change in how they saw themselves and their relationship status with God and each other. They were dismissed from the garden with no hope of return. Life was about to get hard, real hard. God continues to love and relate to them. Perhaps a way to see this is, it's as if Adam and Eve developed cancer cells in their very nature, their essence, cells that would be inherited by their offspring. Most everyone could see the illness in themselves and each other, though some tried to ignore it or even deny it. People could still do a lot of good things. They could share the love they had with others. They accomplished wonderful improvements for living. They eased the pain of many through their inventions and hard work. At the same time, the cancer was making life miserable in so many damaging ways. The cancer varied in speed of growth and intensity with each person. In the end, there was an end. Everyone would die. The consequences of an evil infection. Human nature was deathly ill. It kept showing up as selfishness, sex trafficking, prejudice, slavery, murder, stealing, injustice, deceit, and just plain stupidity. The list is a whole lot longer. What was perfect was permanently broken. Once evil tainted our very body, soul, and spirit, we would never be able to do anything to bring it back to perfection. The nature of the people God had made in His image was shattered beyond repair. Imperfection cannot make itself perfect. Thankfully, God still loved and had relationship with Adam and Eve and their family. He spoke with them and tried to give them guidance. But their now different human nature made it difficult for them. Their older son murdered their younger son and was banished from the family. Their next son was no longer identified as being made in the image and likeness of God as Adam and Eve were originally. We are told that he was born in the image and likeness of Adam. This was the new normal. The consequences of evil's work in Adam and Eve would ripple through the ages of human history. No one born to mankind would or could escape it. The history of every culture confirms it. Our corrupted, evil, death-inducing human nature is a force to be reckoned with. Some of us may seem to be more or less evil than others, but isn't it always only a matter of degree and form? And notice, good is now defined by comparison, not by perfection. Inside the garden, there was no need to deal with morality and ethics. Now we must. Somehow we must decide what is right and wrong, good and evil. And we must figure out rewards and consequences to support those decisions. Almost all of these decisions are based on behavior. How we perform depending on time, place, circumstances, and people we know all impacts reward and punishment. In more recent years, we have even tried to discern attitudes as a crime. Now, the basic idea for humans is to try to figure out a code of conduct and trying to encourage others and or force everyone to live up to it. So Adam and Eve wanted to be better, to be more godlike. They wanted to measure their performance to maybe make it better. Ever since, we humans have been trying to measure our performances by ourselves, of ourselves and others. To what end? Self-improvement? 
comparing to others, judging others, improving our personal identities? Whose measure is right or just best? Is there any perfect measure to go by? Would we agree on it if we thought there was? This we do know. Performance, pride, and condemnation is a built-in part of, and perhaps the most controlling part of, our human nature. It's all around us and in us. And we also know that no one at any time has or will attain performance perfection. Ever. We really are condemned to a rat race life that potently mixes pride, failure, shame, guilt, insecurities, anxiety, fear, depression, hopelessness, and a whole lot more. And not just in ourselves, but in every other human in the world. What a recipe for disaster. And in and of ourselves, the struggle is real, continuous, and unsolvable. If we are to be ultimately rescued from others and ourselves, it has to come from outside of ourselves. And there is good news for that. There is hope. Jesus gives hope that life can be better now and in an eternal future. The perfection life of the Garden of Eden can be recaptured. However, we can't make it happen. It can only come through a life that is perfect. A life that experiences the corruption of this world without being corrupted. A perfect life that is willing to take the death consequence for the sake of those imperfect people who want a relationship with God. A life that conquers the power of death through resurrection to a redeemed new life. A life of perfect love. That is God's grace intersecting with our lives. This might be a good place to end this episode, but... If I were listening to this episode, my mind would probably go on to this. The Christian church is made up of humans. Our human nature and life experience has programmed us all with continual behavior and attitude performance evaluation. How we and others think we perform may be the single most influential reason for how we view ourselves. So much of the time, our personal evaluation can be bad enough, and then it's exacerbated by others. This defines our identities, and we tend to live out of our identities. What a vicious cycle that can produce, a loop of pride and insecurities. Now, in case you haven't noticed, so much of Christian preaching is about behavior. Besides contributing mightily to the guilt, shame, despair, and hopelessness of listeners, this inevitably leads to charges of hypocrisy. After all, when those calling for others to behave better fall short, and they always do, why should anyone listen to them? There is no shortage of hypocritical self-righteousness, even by non-Christians. The virtue of true humility seems to be in short supply all the way around. On top of that, those who I know that are pounding the pulpit with a focus on poor attitudes and behavior provide their listeners with no power to change. Does that power exist? Here is where there is power. It is called grace. When people focus on the life, love, and character of Jesus, accepting him by faith to make our lives more like his, our behaviors and attitudes will become increasingly aligned with his. His Holy Spirit empowers us to a renewing of our minds. This message is necessary and better for everyone. God's grace toward us makes this possible. What is your self-perception? How is it formed? Have you ever felt totally satisfied with who you are? Why not? How do you accept your imperfections? How do you feel when judged, either for good or bad? Do you have hope that you can achieve perfection on your own or even with the help of others? And if so, have they achieved it? How do you know? Do you have the freedom of choice to reject God? Why would you make that choice? Do you have the freedom of choice to accept God's desire for your life? Why would you do that? In the next episode, we will look at how faith plays out in our processing of grace. 
faith is a necessary part of life, there is no escaping it. We all have faith in something or someone, or do we? Thank you for listening today. My name is Jerry Moldenhauer, and this is the Grace Intersect Podcast. As we process together, please know your thoughts and or questions are welcome. Comments may be made at the graceintersect.com website or by emailing comments at graceintersect.com. Have a great day.